Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Lovely betwixters, it's me, Kate Lister. How are you doing? I'm doing fine. Thanks for asking. But before we can continue with this show, I have to give you the fair dues warning. And here it is. This is an adult podcast broken by adults to other adults about adulty things covering a range of adult subjects. And you should be an adult too. Whew. And if you can't take every single one of those boxes, get out now. Run away while you still can. And for the rest of you, let's do this. Hello, Betwixters. You are probably wondering why I have asked you to meet me here on Platform 10 at King's Cross. No, 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 no. We're not here to queue for the Harry Potter photo opportunity. We're here because rumour has it that the first century warrior queen who stood up to a Roman army is buried right here below our feet in central London. She was a formidable figure by all accounts, and while there's plenty of myth around her life for us to unpick, including where she might be buried, Boudicca is someone who inspires us to this very day. Which is absolutely something for you to consider while you're sat in pret waiting for your train. What do you look for in a man? Oh, money, of course. <laughs> You're supposed to rise when an adult speaks to you. I make perfect copies of whatever my boss needs by just turning a knob and pushing the button. Yes, social courtesy does make a difference. Goodness, what beautiful time. Goodness has nothing to do with it, dearie. Hello and welcome back to Betwixt the Sheets, the history of sex scandal in society with me, Kate Lister. Whether you know her as Boudicca or Bodicea, whether she's buried under King's Cross Station or, checks notes, Stonehenge, her legacy is a powerful one. How much do we actually know about this incredible woman's life? What does it tell us about how we view women throughout history? And why has there been so much fuss around how you pronounce her name? Well, today I am joined once again by the glorious Emma Southern, author of History of the Roman Empire in 21 Women to Find Out More. Chariots at the ready, Betwixters. Let's do this. Hello and 
welcome back to Betwixt the Sheets. It's one of our most favourites. It's only Emma Southern. How are you doing? I am delighted because I'm back. It's a new year. I'm back on Betwixt the Sheets. What? How better could I start 2024? Well, talking about Boudicca, that's what we're doing. That's a pretty epic start. <laughs> To 2024. It is. And anytime I'm talking about Boudicca, I'm happy. So. Do you know, I used to think that until, because I told my dad that I was talking to you about Boudicca and he went, have you watched that new Boudicca film? And so I was like, there's a new Boudicca film? <laughs> and he went, yeah, you should definitely yeah, watch Netflix it. It's one. on Netflix, Kate. It's dead good. And I duly watched it. And then I texted him, I was like, well, what the shit was that? And he's like, ah, ah, ah. <laughs> <laughs> it was wank. <laughs> Trolled by your own father. By my own dad, who deliberately set me up. Because I was thinking, oh my god, there's like a new Boudicca biopic. I should, I should watch this. And then I, no hate to anyone involved. I'm sure they all work very, very hard on it. But yeah, I wasn't. I don't think Boudicca herself would have been particularly chuffed with that one. I haven't worked out the courage to watch it yet, and you're not selling it. Give it <laughs> eventually, I give will give it a swerve. I think. But do you know what's kind of weird about that is that you would think that. Boudicca's life, or at least the myth that's around her, somebody would have made an absolutely knockout film by now. And there just isn't one, really. No, she gets stuck in all these myths is the problem. I mean, most of what we know about her is quite mythy mm. because we know loads about approximately a two-year period and absolutely nothing about the before oh, and after <laughs> that two-year period. But you could make a good one just about that, it, yeah. that period. But she gets... There's so many kind of myths and misconceptions about what early Roman Britain looked like and what the Iceni were that most of her attempts to tell her story get kind of lost in mm. those as and imagining them as kind of terrible mod people who could barely tie shoelaces, let alone <laughs> lead an organised rebellion against the great empire. All right, so we should probably start with the, with the absolute basic page one introduction to, to Boudicca. Who was she? Who is this person? So Boudicca is generally called a queen, a kind of high-level leading elite woman in the Iceni people, who are a people that live in kind of East Anglia area, Norfolk, basically. She's from Norfolk, um, right. And she's from Norfolk, so you can imagine her with a Norfolk accent, which is fun. And she basically on that kind of Fen Edge area and... They are a client kingship of the Roman Empire at the beginning of the Roman colonization of right. Britain. So they are one of the peoples that they don't fight the Romans when the Romans turn up. So the Romans have turned up officially in 43 CE with Claudius and have subjugated everybody with the sheer overwhelming power of their terrifying right. <laughs> army. And the Iceni at first are like, okay, fine. We'll do you a client kingship deal, which is that we promise not to rebel against you and we will pay taxes and tribute and you promise not to murder us all and we'll all be happy. And that seems to be going all right for about 15 years, like during the bit we assume that Boudicca is growing up because we don't know how old she is. She could be anything between like 18 and 65 but she grows up in a period where she's basically leaving the Romans alone the Romans are 98% leaving the Iceni mm. alone and they're living a relatively happy life making bronzes and being really obsessed with horses nice was this quite a common Roman deal then when they were doing their colonizing and their empire building was they would just sort of turn up and go look lads 
like look at all the shit that we've got. There are fucking loads of us, by the way. <laughs> I don't think that you're going to be able yeah. to win this. Why don't we just strike up a little deal here? Was that quite common? Basically, yeah. And so like the invasion of Britain and an invasion of a lot of places is that they would turn up. They'd be like, yeah, well, there's loads of us. We've got terrifying war implements and loads of armor and you do not seem to have any of those things. (laughs) So we'll do you do. We won't slaughter you because that's very, you know, that's a bother. And we'll do you in exchange. You pay us to leave you alone. We'll take some hostages and we'll agree and then eventually later, they would usually crush them horribly because um, what mm. happened was that the Romans would usually then start behaving as though they owned the land anyway, which is what happens with Boudicca. So because they're, that's a nice way of saying it, bastards. <laughs> they, <laughs> it's the politest way of putting it. They will basically trigger rebellions repeatedly across the whole empire by just acting like they own the place and like they're better than everybody right. else and like the people that they are living alongside are not their equal partners in the ruling of this land but actually peasants that they can crush into oblivion and treat as however they want which is what oh, they do yeah. and that's usually what triggers a rebellion in any given place at one point they trigger a rebellion in judea because a roman soldier marches into the second temple during passover and farts on someone oh dear see that that is just silly that isn't it it's just a really stupid reason to start a rebellion and it's just because roman soldiers were not fun people (laughs) i guess it's like the old protection racket isn't it it's just they basically turn up and say give us money and we won't kill you basically we won't kill you yeah and we do also expect you we are going to turn up and then force you to like feed us and we're going to be absolute dicks and we're going to push over your stuff every so often yeah and we're going to be really awful every time we turn up to take our money because see, when you said that, I thought that's actually quite sensible. Like, because you get this sort of this like heroic myth of the Celts that you know that they fought tooth and nail, and you know, like the whole you know going into Scotland, the Braveheart thing of like, no, you will not take our freedom. I quite like the idea of them going, <laughs> yeah, actually, no, that's fine, lads. Um, if you want to run this, not a problem. We will just, we'll, we just won't have yeah. a fight. Not a problem. If you want that bit, we'll have this bit and everybody will be happy. That's what the Romans sell people. That or, you know, and we won't crush you. But then it never, ever ever. really works out that way. So they're doing this in Britain, which at the time was a lot of different kingdoms ruled by different groups of people who Mm -hmm. seem to be, they spend as much time rowing with each other as they do with various invading people. Yeah. What, because I know that when we're talking about Celtic Britain in particular, Sources are really thin on the ground because they didn't like Boudicca wasn't writing a diary that she, that we've still got. There wasn't any kind of first-hand <laughs> accounts. No. What we've got is mostly the Romans writing about them. But could you like try and sort of paint a picture of what this culture was like, or the Iceni people in particular? Like, what would Boudicca have been growing up? What would her life have been like? So, what we do have very usefully is a lot of archaeology. Oh, so I'd almost forgotten about them, the archaeologists. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> I forget about them too because the, the idea of being in a trench is horrifying. <laughs> yeah. But God bless him, other people don't mind trenches. So, they dig stuff up and tell me about it. It's brilliant. So, the archaeology of the Iceni shows a culture which is largely homesteads. So, there's a really fun thing with, with archaeology where you can always tell where Roman influence is really 
taken over because corners become a thing in houses. Like everybody's building roundhouses and then the Romans come and start building rectangles. (laughs) So they're kind of very into roundhouses. Okay. These newfangled corners come in later. Newfangled corners. They seem to be highly decentralized, so they don't really seem to have like an elite person in the center, particularly. They potentially have a leader, but it's not like there's one big house and lots of little houses. Everybody's living in largely the same size of kind of house. They're farming. They're seemingly lacking in a particular social hierarchy. There's a quote from one of the academics who studies the Iceni. It calls the settlements in a splurgy pattern. So they're just kind of everywhere. There's just houses all over the show. It's more of a commune than a kingdom. Yeah, basically. And they don't seem to be particularly like there's none of the warrior burials that you get further up north so like those big chariot burials are all from Yorkshire they seem to be pretty chill to be honest they are really into horses so on all of their artwork they're really into bronze work so there's lots of horses on their bronze work and they have lots of they would decorate their horses with lots of beautiful buckles and things like that but for the most part they seem to be living their life doing farming doing highly skilled metal work living in their roundhouses they do unlike other places in the south of England so there are places like St Albans for example and various other places down in Sussex and Kent that get really into corners and importing Roman and continental pottery and they don't seem to be that massively into it they're very into round things and their own pottery but they just seem to be doing their own thing living pretty chill not that hierarchical one of the interesting things about pre-Roman Britain before they have any contact with the Britons is that they don't seem to be that hierarchical Mm. and then they come in contact with the Britons and Julius Caesar turns up and says I'm not talking to all of you (laughs) pick one guy and he's going to be in charge of you And basically forces hierarchy on the people of Southern Britain. And so that one guy then becomes the person who talks to the Romans. And then he then becomes, then the Romans just call him their king. (laughs) So the idea of having a king is really a function of talking to the Romans, which is really funny because even how much they hate kings. I'd never heard that before. So that's how Kabudica grows up. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> so would they have called themselves the Iceni or was that a Roman name for them? Do we know what they called themselves? That's a, a Roman, Roman name, name for them. As far as we know, like everything is just a Roman name and they're not that consistent with what they call right. people, but they would make up a name for somebody either based on where they are or the first person that they talked to it's or thorough, somebody said. Eh? Like it's they're just it's a bit slapdash. <laughs> Oh, you you can be the king. They are quite slapdash. <laughs> it's just a guy go. I'm not the king. <laughs> Who, me? I'm, I'm I was just a messenger. I was just standing here. <laughs> yeah. And the Romans come in and kind of impose what they think they see, and then and then fuck off, and then go home again and leave the chaos behind them. But yeah, so Boudicca's life basically is is one either where the Romans just showed up and so they sent some representatives and said, okay, fine, we'll be clients of the empire just leave us alone or she was born into that world but she was probably already alive when they signed up to the idea and then she's married to Prasitergus who is the king the chief the head guy and has two children and then everything goes horribly wrong bollocks so she's basically grown up in an occupation I suppose that we could say an occupied land she gets married she has some kids what goes wrong Okay, so there's two versions of what goes wrong. There's the version that everybody kind of knows and there's the less sexy version because it's about taxes. Uh, (laughs) So... (laughs) 
Okay. The unsexy version, not that the other version is sexy, but it's the the more narratively interesting, I suppose, is that when the Romans turn up, the other thing they do is lend money to everybody and give money to everybody. And when Claudius, the emperor, died, the Roman governor and Seneca, the Stoic philosopher, said, oh, actually, remember all that money we gave you? We would like it back immediately and demanded hundreds of thousands of sesterces back from people who had spent it on building stuff. And then they also took loads of weaponry. So they took their weapons from them. So what you have at this point is Seneca sends what are basically Pinkertons, like bailiffs round to all of the British tribes to beat people up until they pay him, which is something that people don't talk about when they talk about stoicism. And they've also, because there's been a rebellion somewhere else, they take away all their weapons. So they basically emasculate them and impoverish them and then force them to pay loads of taxes on top of that, which is very stressful. And at the same time, they're building Colchester and basically treating everybody in the area like unpaid labor or enslaved people and as if they're not people at all and kicking them off their land and basically acting like colonial imperialist occupiers of a land, like stealing it, treating people as though they're not human and taking away all of their dignity. The other version is the version that Tacitus tells, which is basically a metaphorical version of that, which is that Boudicca's husband dies. He leaves his kingdom, quote unquote, to his daughters and the Roman soldiers turn up and beat Boudicca, rape her daughters and take all of the land and kick them all off. I think it's a metaphor for Lucretia, basically saying that they're tyrannical and they even the women aren't safe from being colonised by the Romans. It's a grittier version, isn't it? And if you were going to make a film, you'd probably go with, with that one than people being angry at tax administration. Yeah, it's real hard to make. As we know from the beginning of that first Star Wars film, it's real hard to make tax and trade <laughs> particularly narratively yes, exciting. God, yes. <laughs> <laughs> So unsurprisingly, people usually go with the slightly more violent one. And it's more kind of emotionally, you know, you can see why Tacitus went with it because your immediate reaction is, God, that's awful. And then they force them to pay back loads of money. doesn't really have the same shock value. When it comes to sources, so you've got Tacitus who's writing about it. I'm not sure who the other person is, but how reliable are they? they? Were they in Britain? Had they visited Britain? Is there a chance that this could just be... Just a story that maybe it was just invented <laughs> by Tacitus. He was just a bit bored. So it definitely happened. It definitely, definitely turns happened. up okay. in a bunch of sources. So definitely okay, happened. Good. She definitely existed. Tacitus is writing about 60 years later, 50 years later, but his father-in-law was in Britain, was the governor of Britain, and fought in this war against Boudicca oh, as a soldier. So he ha- does right. have at least a first-hand source. And him and his father-in-law are like besties. So he gets a lot from his father-in-law. So he does at least have a connection to Britain. Dio is writing about 150 years after that. So he's almost 200 years right. later okay. and has less of a connection. So it's from Dio's more kind of fictional version that we get the image of Boudicca that everybody knows. So that picture of her that everybody has in their head that's on the statue with the flowing hair and the massive sword and the flowing cloak and that she's got a scary voice and is giant like a man. That's from Dio. 
So he embellishes in a more fictionalized fashion. But effectively what you get is when you get down to the bare bones of the story that they both tell, it is that there was a woman called Boudicca. She rebelled because the Romans were awful. She did a lot of damage and scared them quite badly, but they were able to beat her and then she died. Right. Okay. So we're kind of tracking along a sort of a similar narrative with just additional bits i suppose being added by by different authors did she have red hair whose idea was that why do we think of us having red hair i tell you that's actually from the time of elizabeth the first right (laughs) so (laughs) she has lion colored hair in boudicca so like dark blonde hair in dio sorry and then tacitus and dio and those ancient sources are rediscovered during the Italian Renaissance, which kind of overlaps eventually with the version, they're first translated into English during Elizabeth I's reign. And so mm. the idea of a British queen standing boldly against mm. foreign invaders has some right. nice parallels with Elizabeth and Spain. And so they kind of make her, her tawny hair suddenly becomes very red. Right. That's a good PR spin. Props to the Elizabethan marketing team there that was very good it is and then when victoria gets into her she suddenly they start emphasizing her motherhood as <laughs> which is why her children are on that victorian statue they were very good at pr so what about her name because I, i'm sure she'd be called bodicea like and now it's Boudicca. Yes. what happened That is actually the same thing, which is during those first translations in the elizabethan period during the tudors it was miss transliterated so from the original there's two c's in the version of tacitus that we have and somebody wrote it as b-o-u-d-i-c-e-a uh, it's not helpful in dio she's called wodica with a u which is not very helpful but basically that's how it ended up in english as bodicea and then eventually after about 400 years of people saying that's not a c that's not an e it's a c it trickled down into people catching <laughs> Oh, she must have been so pissed off. All right, okay, so Boudicca, something happens. We're not quite sure what happens. Like this narrative around she was beaten up publicly and her daughters were like sexually assaulted by loads of Roman soldiers. Is there any kind of parallel for that? Like would that have been like a normal Roman? I mean, I know that they were vicious bastards and we've had you on the podcast before to tell us just how vicious they were. So they could certainly come up with that if they wanted to. But would that, from the kind of research that you've done, would that be in line with like a dispute around inheritance rights as a punishment? (laughs) Not as a dispute around inheritance rights, but it would be as a weapon of war. A weapon of war, right. And... Yeah, you know, it it always has been. There are people that do research into rape as a weapon of war. And also, like, one of the problems, weirdly and horribly, that Tacitus has with Boudicca is that she doesn't take slaves. She just kills people. And it's very much a weapon of enslavement as well. Sexual violence as a way to dehumanise is something that the Romans definitely do. So if they were approaching it as a hostile takeover, basically, of the kingdom and taking the area and they didn't plan on leaving people, then absolutely that is something they would do. Be back with Emma and Boudicca after this short break.
Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Do we have any idea who her daughters were? Are they named anywhere? They are not. Just they daughter. don't right, okay. fight the Romans. <laughs> so they don't get a name. Right, you, have to, yeah, you have to do something quite extraordinary. Yeah, to be a woman with a name in Roman sources. Yeah, and even then we'll probably get your name wrong. And yeah, we'll spell it nine different ways. <laughs> yeah. Oh, right. Okay. Okay. So something happens. Looks like her husband's dead. Then what happens? Like what kind of time period is this? And what do the sources tell us happened? So this is 5960 CE. And what she does is builds a coalition of peoples in southern England, certainly including at least the big tribes in kind of Cambridgeshire and Essex. And she marches on Colchester, which is at that time the capital of Roman power in Britain. It is the where they built their first camp. They have built a giant temple to Claudius as a divine man, which they all find hilarious. And it's where all of the kind of Roman bureaucracy is at the time. Mm. And she not only manages to build this coalition, which is impressive because the main thing that the Romans say about the British peoples is that they spend more time fighting each other than they do the Romans because they all have these many historic hatreds. But she also has people inside Colchester who infiltrate and who keep telling the Roman powers within there that there's nothing wrong. Everything is fine. Everything. No, I don't know. That bit of dust you see on the horizon is nothing. So that they don't... No, no, don't worry yeah. about it. <laughs> Everything's fine. So that when Romans try to make plans to like, oh, maybe we should... Should we fortify this? They're like, no, it's fine. Everything's okay. It's clearly a clever plan to make sure that there is no defence waiting 
And as it happens when she turns up, there are 200 men who don't have their full armor and who are genuinely quite surprised when 100,000 people come marching over the absolutely no hills of Essex (laughs) in order to destroy the city, which they do. They burn it to the ground. They besiege the temple where the soldiers hide and then kill all of the Roman representatives and completely obliterate the town really there's a Boudican destruction layer which is a nice thick layer of ash and burnt material where you can see that which is very useful for archaeology but you can really see how much that anything that could burn did burn scorched earth policy then so they she just just they just went hell mm-hmm. for leather they just absolutely raised it to the ground they do it's a very clear statement of attack on roman power on roman administrative and colonial power and that they do not want this in their country and they want it gone. They don't want to see the Temple of Divine Claudius. They don't want to see these big walls. They don't want to see Roman corners. They want good old-fashioned roundhouses. <laughs> but they just don't want any of it. They burn it down in protest. And this really shocks the Romans who thought until that point that they were pretty much invulnerable in Britain. Had there been any documented rebellions amongst the Britons against the Romans before this? Yes. So there's one a few years before, which is what ends with the Romans taking everybody's weapons away or trying to take everybody's weapons away. At the time, the reason that there's no real army in southern England at that time is that most of them are in Wales, fighting in Wales, and where there's real resistance to the Romans, and they are attempting to eradicate the Druids there. So there's some real resistance there. There's really strong resistance down in the southeast as well but there had not been very much in the south and southwest kind of Mm. around london essex kent sussex that area had been mostly on board so this is the first time that there's a really big sustained rebellion in that area god i mean it's it's so difficult to know what the reaction to that would have been because it's just people writing about it later on but i would imagine that absolute shock and Horror and yeah, completely unprepared. Yeah, you're for supposed it. to be our friends. Like, yes, you promised. We liked each other. <laughs> yeah, though every time this happens, there seems to be real surprise because this is like a consistent thing that the Romans make a deal with somebody, they then treat the other side of the deal horribly, and then that side rebels, and then they're like, "But you promised you wouldn't." <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Why would you promise if you're going to do this? And so, yeah, I think that there was real shock. And then the real, real shock comes that a legion does come to the aid of Colchester. The ninth legion turns up and Boudicca beats them. And then that is really what causes shock that vibrates kind of across the empire and really scares them because if they can fight a legion then that's a problem it's it's scary if they are willing to fight the actual army and it takes some time for lots of legions to be able to come together to fight to kind of put them down and during that time they managed to get through a good five or six other towns so that they're just on a on a rampage then they so they don't stop at colchester and go well that was enough then for us lads and they don't. They go in the sources. So in Tacitus and Dio says he, they go down to London. London is a completely Roman town. It is a Roman trading town and has like no previous habitation really and burn that down and just kill everybody. And that's where Tacitus says that he's really baffled by them because they don't engage in war commerce, which is taking right. slaves. That's he's like, you could make slaves. loads of money off of this. And which is normal to him, but they just, they don't want to do that. So they just kill everybody, which is 
worse, I guess. I'm not sure. And then they also take on St. Albans, which is like an administrative centre and has a lot of Roman bureaucrats there as well. In the archaeology, you can see that there are destruction layers in other towns as well. So parts of South London, which previously were like until like the 19th century where different towns have also been burnt down and some in slightly to the east as well, like in Surrey. So potentially they really went around and, and hit a lot of colonies and little Roman towns, but they really burnt down everything and really killed a lot of people. Dio has all of these really graphic descriptions of them doing appallingly violent things in order to show how barbarous they are. So he has a genuinely bizarre and horrific description of them cutting the breasts off of Roman elite women and then sewing them to their mouths, which is awful. And also, how do you even think of that? that um, if you're sacking a city, that takes a lot of time. It would take ages. And how would it even work? Who's got the sewing kits? Yeah. And, and who would even think of it? Nobody would think of that. No, that's just nonsense. So for your money, he's saying that just to like really hammer home how awful they are. Yeah. It's a kind of trope of power that if you give a woman a power then they will go mad and become unnaturally cruel. And, it's um, true, though. And... I, I would agree with that. No. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so when I never go give either of us any power. <laughs> so, so we don't know how old she is, though. We're doing Boudicca at this no. time. There's no sort of sense of... I mean, this sounds like menopause to me. That's what I think is going on. <laughs> yeah. yeah. The kind of argument from silence is that if she was really young or really old, one of the sources probably would have mentioned it just because it would be uh, yeah. weird enough to mention. So if she was something, you know, 18 or 65, then people would be like, oh, wow, that's unusual. So she's probably, mm. you know, probably in average adulthood, like 20s to 40s, because that would be like, you, it's not worth commenting on when you're in that age. That makes, that makes sense. Okay, so I'm going to get, because we're not currently ruled by the Iceni, I'm going to guess that this particular rebellion, it didn't last very long. So what did, was it just that the Romans got their shit together? And like, what happened? What was the downfall of this? After a couple of really bad massacres and destructions of towns, the governor, who's called Suetonius, basically has to pull out of fighting in Wales and give up his dream of conquering Wales to come back to England and stage a pitched battle and all the sources have these mm. big descriptions of this massive battle that really emphasize this idea they have that the Romans are very clever and logical and trained and the Britons are just a big mad rabble of idiots. So in tits on women's faces. Exactly. And all they're doing is just kind of running around in various directions and barely uh, just a mob, whereas the Romans are good and in lines and ordered. Mm. And so that is the image that they very much want to give you. And so the Romans pick this battleground that is advantageous to them and they choose one that has woods behind them and quite a narrow entrance so that they control where the British are, which is in fairness very clever. And then they have an all a massive battle. And it is however much they want to pretend that it's a route, it is a big thing that goes on all day and, and many people die. And it is a hard won victory over Boudicca's forces. But in the end, the Romans break through their lines and as soon as the line is broken and they start to flee, the story is that the 
Britons have brought all of their carts and all of their families and their supplies with them and they have blocked off their own escape route. And so when they Why try they to escape, that? potentially out of lack of tactical ability, because pitched battles are not something that Britons really do and they lose virtually every single one right. of them, which is why they stop having them okay. after a while. And potentially just arrogance that they have won so much that they don't, it doesn't even occur to them that they are not wow. going to miss this one. They're not going to lose this one. That's Tacitus's thought. But we don't know where okay. that was. There's about a hundred different potential places where the Battle of Watling Street took place. Everybody wants to find it. But it ends mm. in in a brutal defeat for the Britons. And as soon as they go down, the Romans just start cutting people down, basically, and slaughter mm. everybody, which ends up with the entire rebellion basically being crushed in that one battle. After that, there is the tiniest flicker of an idea that people are trying to get it back together, but it's just so, there's such a bad defeat and the force mm. of the Romans is so overwhelming that everybody basically just goes back to work and is like, God, sorry, God, what, a, what an embarrassment. <laughs> got, got, got a bit carried away there. I'm not quite sure what, what if we just never mention that ever again? <laughs> what happened to Boudicca then? Do we have any idea what she did? So Boudicca dies. We know that for a fact. She dies off screen, basically. Tasta says that she poisons herself because of the defeat, right. which is his version of a compliment. And Dio says that she dies of illness. And without her, there's nothing to centre it around. They say they gave mm. her a big funeral, but the pre-Roman Britons didn't do cremation or burial. They did exhumation where you leave the body out. So there's no big like monument to her or anything like that. No. Although people think for people for a while thought she was buried under Parliament Hill, which is pretty funny seeing as she destroyed London. <laughs> well, I heard she was buried under King's Cross. Yeah, that's another one. Again, she did quite hate London. So it feels like an insult to bury her. <laughs> She's not going to be buried there. Is she? No, you know? feels like the Romans would bury her there if they had caught her. But mm. I don't think that her. I think she was probably taken back to Norfolk to be buried in the lovely fens instead. But she dies pretty soon after the Battle of Watling Street, and then that is the end of the rebellion. And then the everybody just kind of turns to rebuilding, and that basically that crushes. So rebellion in the south of England, at least, like it is just, it never really happens again. How famous was this rebellion at the time? I mean, was it sort of confined like to a few scuffles in the sort of the <laughs> south of, of Britain? Or was this something like in Rome that they had heard about? And what was the reaction to a woman leading the army? Because what I know about the Romans, I'm sure you can back me up <laughs> on this, is that they, they were quite a patriarchal bunch of people. It they wouldn't were. have gone down particularly well with them that a woman was doing this. No, I mean, it baffled and weirded them out and it made them think less of the Britons in general because the idea of being led by a woman to the Romans was like inherently weak. So right. it just made them, which is part of the reason why when... Like it took them a bit of time to react because the they just were like, oh, okay, well, they're being led by a woman, they must all be rubbish. But in Rome, there was certainly a reaction. Nero was really freaked out by it and talked about pulling out of Britain altogether after the wow. destruction of Colchester. He was like, oh, maybe this is just too, like, I didn't, I don't, I'm not really interested in war. I don't want to start a big one. If this is going to be a problem, then we'll just pull she out. She really won then. She did. And this is one of the reasons why she's so famous. Like, partly. 
she is remembered in Roman history because she genuinely does damage them. And because it's just kind of a weird, funny story to them that she's a woman who led an army, Mm. but also because she really did nearly push them out of the whole province and she nearly ended the occupation of Britain and had their Nero acted quicker than he did, then potentially she would have. But, and there's, you know, rebellions constantly all over the Roman Empire, but this one is one that people remember more than others because it has Mm. that novelty factor and also nearly one factor that most don't. So it definitely causes ripples in Rome with people really freaking out about what's happening. And they are interested in what's happening in Britain where there's another rebel called Caraticus who is betrayed by another British woman who is kind of the dastardly evil version of Boudicca (laughs) called Cartamandua. And he's so famous in Rome when they take him, they have like street parties to celebrate his capture because wow okay there is a genuine interest in what's happening in britain as a new place that romans can be so she's famous they know if they'd caught her then they would have had some fun doing a parade of her through the streets but they didn't thank god i'm no wonder if she did take poison then you can totally see why that would be a better result than than being enslaved by these fuckers. Yes. Although Caraticus managed to persuade Claudius to let him go and he ended up living quite a nice life with his wife and children in Rome. (laughs) Oh, right. Okay. So she might have had that. I doubt it because she was a woman. But yeah, if she took poison, then you can totally see why because having just watched like all of these horrible slaughters and then gone, oh no, this is not like if they get me this is not going to end well for me. <laughs> no, there's no happy ending no. here, is there at all? And what's interesting, well, there's lots of stuff that's interesting, but the ripples of this are felt throughout the Roman Empire, and then it's almost like we forget about it for a few hundred years, <laughs> and, then, oh, yeah. and then it's unearthed again, and then the myth takes on new dimensions, doesn't it? Because like we all love a warrior queen, and she becomes different things to different periods she does and it's interesting how kind of complex her relationship to britain and british identity becomes like she's she totally makes sense like her rediscovery comes about in like the 15th century and it makes sense of kind of britain at that time is not really an imperial power yet but it is fighting off spanish imperial power and the spanish are like the big power and so they really take to her as a an image of, of plucky British mm. underdogness fighting the bad European powers. But then when Britain becomes a massive imperial power and becomes the imperial power in the world, it becomes much harder <laughs> to be like, oh, the plucky English underdog yes. fighting the imperial powers. But somehow, because British are really good at cognitive dissidence, they manage it. And so there's all these poems about her during the Victorian period when Britain reaches kind of the height of its its power about her because she's so plucky and good and she fights off the decadent Romans who obviously, as we all know from like, you know, she's fighting Nero. Nero's a baddie. Everyone knows Nero's a baddie. She's fighting them off. Because of that, God rewarded her with an empire which is even bigger than the Roman Empire. Oh, see, look at the mental gymnastics. <laughs> I know. There. That's that is some impressive shit, isn't it? Yeah, and that's what's on the side of the statue. It's you know something about how because of her how great she is, her descendants will be rewarded with dominion over lands that Caesar's never saw. Oh, brilliant! Yeah, nice, nicely done, Victorian PR team. 
But you can't fault the Victorian PR team. Like the mental gymnastics that the British Empire could do were never anything but impressive. Absolutely. Oh, Emma, you have been fascinating to talk to. You always are. And if people want to know more about you and your research, where can they find you? They can find me at emmasouthern.com. They can buy my book, which has a whole chapter about Boudicca and her evil twin, Cartamandua, in it, which is a history of the Roman Empire in 21 women, or my podcast, which is called History is Sexy. Fabulous. Thank you so much for joining me today. You have been an absolute superstar. A delight as always. Thank you for listening and thank you so much to Emma for joining me and if you like what you heard please don't forget to like review and follow along wherever it is that you get your podcasts if you'd like us to explore a subject or maybe you just wanted to say hello then you can email us at betwixt at historyhit.com we have got episodes on everything from the history of sex work in America to viking sex all coming your way this podcast was edited and produced by Stuart Beckwith the senior producer was Charlotte Long Join me again Betwixt the Sheets, the history of sex scandal in society, a podcast by History Hit. This podcast contains music from Epidemic Sound. Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Thank you for listening to this episode of Betwixt the Sheets. Please follow the show wherever you get your podcasts. It really helps us and you'll be doing us a big favour. Don't forget, you can also listen to all these podcasts ad-free and watch hundreds of documentaries when you subscribe at historyhit.com forward slash subscribe. As a special gift, you can get your first three months for just £1 a month when you use the code BETWIXT at checkout.